All right, so uh, I'm I'm pleased to deal with this subject tonight. It's one I uh, quite like to talk about, um, mainly because I feel like it's such a a necessity, uh, especially in our time where we have a lot of like uh, Christian associations, I suppose, in parts of our culture with extremely clear disconnects between what the scriptures say and uh, what we ought to derive from them. Um, but I won't waste much time jumping into it. So the first thing that we'll need to look at as a foundation to begin the discussion for application is uh, just a real quick reference back to what we mean uh, by the word meaning. So the first thing on your sheet there. Um, when I'm using the term meaning, I will be referring to uh, what the author intended uh, to communicate through the text. So any reference to meaning or concepts of meaning that we're seeking to um, discover is what the author intended to communicate through the text. So the information and the means. Uh, similarly, um, when we jump to the phrase application then, um, that will refer to the response of the reader to the meaning of the inspired text. And so since Pastor Jacob went in depth about putting some meat on the bone, the Holy Spirit's role in the inspiration of Scripture and the illumination of our minds, I'll leave that to that discussion. Um, and we'll just move on from our response to the meaning of the inspired text. Um, what we will do for the, the breadth of this is I'll take us through what uh, has been known as the interpretive journey, and we'll be looking specifically at a very well-known verse, um, Philippians 4.13, to demonstrate some of these things, and I may go on a diatribe about its misuse, but... Um, so jumping in really quick, um, the first thing that we need to do, um, the analogy that's used in um, the interpretive journey is the idea of having like a town that needs a bridge over a river separating it to another town. So we're trying to get from one town to the other. And the first step uh, in this analogy in regard to the biblical text is we need to grasp the text in their town. So what I mean by that is, uh, what did the text mean, whatever text we're looking at, to the biblical audience? So their town, the biblical audience. So um, one way, uh, one good way to grasp the text in their town, if we keep the language is by summarizing the original situation that is present in any given text. So we've covered historical cultural context uh, in previous weeks. That's what's being discussed here, the original situation. And along with that, the meaning then of that text for the biblical audience. So that is the first step in the interpretive journey. 
that will step uh, get us moving towards the application process. All right, so if we take the Philippians example, um, the situation in the book of Philippians is that Paul wrote that letter to the Philippians from prison, and he was in prison because of his faithful ministry uh, to Christ. He was writing to his friends in Philippi to encourage them um, to stand firm against external opposition and to warn them against infighting, any strife that would come in between them. Um, He is very grateful and thanks them for their monetary support, Um, but he wants to make it clear and convey to them uh, a very true theological principle to himself that his ministry is ultimately dependent on Christ. So that is the overall situation of this particular text, right? So in this first step of grasping it in their town, um, like what the text meant to the biblical audience, uh, if I summarized it in one sentence, it would basically be, Paul told the Philippians that he'd learned to be content in a variety of difficult circumstances through Christ, um, Christ who has given him strength. Right, So that'll move us pretty quickly uh, into step two. Um, Step two, then, we're in their town. We need to find a way to get into the next town. And there's a river in between. We need to see how wide that river is. So we will measure the width of the river to cross. Um, And that width... Uh, would constitute the differences between the biblical audience and us. So if you wanted to draw that in your mind, you could have a little cartoon river, put the word differences on it. (laughs) Um, It'd be nice and simple. But uh, after measuring the width of that river, um, we need to figure out not only what's different between us and them, but the situation and our situation, um, whatever pertinent factors um, are present. So I'll briefly um, just bring up a few of the differences, um, and I may ask you to come up with whatever similarities we have uh, following that. But um, one of the most notable differences uh, between the um, situation in Philippians and probably our situation is number one, Paul is is an apostle and he's in prison. Uh, We are not apostles, though some denominations may claim so. Um, uh, Also, I'd bet that most of us, considering that we're here tonight, are not in prison nor have been in prison for any other reason. or have been imprisoned for your faith, like Paul is at the time of writing this letter. Um, So uh, uh, thirdly, I would say we're not obviously members of the Philippian church who have not financially supported Paul. So those are fairly significant differences between us and them. However, we do still have significant similarities between them. Um, what are a few similarities that we have with the Philippian church? We're Christians. Yeah. 
So we're Christians. We're under the same new covenant. We are members of a church. Yeah, we are members of a church, a local body like they were. I think whatever really significant ones we have. Um, probably we definitely experience difficulties in our lives um, that we want to live our faith out in the, the midst of them. Um, so luckily for us with a text like this, the river's not very wide for us to find uh, connections between us two. Um, so that'll take us very quickly then to bridging the gap in step three which uh, it's always difficult for me to say this, I suppose, but cross the principalizing bridge is the phraseology that's used in the text we've been looking at. And all that means, in essence, is what is the theological principle or principles that are in this text, whatever text it may be. Um, and during this step, we can then like list the theological principles that are communicated by the passage. So ever increasing, getting closer and closer to being able to apply this is bridging the gap. And so um, how might you summarize, just take a moment to think about it, the, the principle of Philippians 4.13? Like, how might you describe it? He has some thoughts on this. Yes. <laughs> God empowers you to pull through what he's put you through, put you in, the okay. situations so, he's put you in. Okay. God empowers you to get through situations he puts you in. Any additional thoughts? Anything? With my mental support, for me, for years when I had kids to raise and job to do and all kinds of things that were very strengthening. They, they took my strength away. And I, I just trusted that hope. Yeah. And I think I heard someone say that that was the wrong application, but it wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah, so if I were to summarize it, um, I would say it would be like uh, believers can learn to be content in a variety of circumstances through Christ because he will give them strength or that like Christ will give believers str uh, strength to be content in a variety of difficult circumstances that come as a result of following him. Um, so so moving pretty quick through this um, to step four, right? So consult the biblical map. So this would be far more relevant um, during other times, I would imagine. But um, once you have arrived at a theological principle derived from the text, um, you then need to evaluate it in light of the rest of Scripture. So how does our theological principle or principles fit with the rest of the Bible. Um, we need to see how well uh, what we've discovered uh, is in conjunction with the rest of Scripture um, and be very careful to make sure it's not 
explicitly refuted somewhere, that would be ideal um, <laughs> when looking into that. So can anybody think of any examples in the scriptures that would refute this principle that Christ will give believers strength to be content in a variety of difficult circumstances that come as a result of following him? Yeah, I'd reckon not. <laughs> uh, if anything, uh, references you'd find would bolster that idea. Things like, uh, go therefore, and I will be with you until the end of age. Or, um, when I go, I will send my comfort or comforter to you to remind you of things that I've said. Um, uh, we have uh, lots of things to do with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives that would tell us that Christ will be with us, with his presence, strengthening us, um, sustaining us through trials, um, especially uh, those, ideally those, that come from faithfulness to him. So keeping that in mind, it's not just suffering we have in mind here. It is suffering because of our faith in Christ in some form um, that we have in mind here, right? So thankfully, we don't really see anything in this text, so we can move briefly, uh, quickly through it, that um, will refute the principle we found. And so we get to step five, which is now we're getting into application time more closely. So now we're going to try to grasp the text in our town. That's the continuing the, the metaphor there, um, where we need to try to discern how should individual Christians today live out the theological principle or principles. And uh, this has some sub-steps in it. So uh, this will be the longer, longer section of the steps um, in any interpretive endeavor, um, but in this as well. So the first thing that we should do to try to avoid uh, improper application of a biblical text is observe how the principle, the principle that we've discovered in the text, um, address the original situation. So we need to know how the principle would uh, interact with the original situation. So this goes back to the intention of application and the ideas of meaning, where we are trying to see how the biblical author wanted his original audience to apply the meaning. So... Um, what we will discover if we take this intersection between like the biblical text uh, and the original situation, um, this is the heart of the application process. Um, if I stated it another way, it would be um, application involves seeing how the principles in the text intersect with the original situation. And by doing so, we can discern some key elements um, that will emerge that will undoubtedly affect the rest of the application process. So uh, let's look again 
at Philippians 4.13. Um, I'll just read that briefly. It's just, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, there are a few elements in this one verse that are, I think, the essential elements to arrive at a proper application. And the first element is that this is a Christian. So Paul, that is the person in this text. Uh, element two is, this is a Christian who is experiencing a variety of trying circumstances as a result of following Christ faithfully. So he's in prison for serving Christ. And the third element is that Christ will give or did give him strength, or Christ will give the Christian strength to endure any circumstances. So those are the three elements that are necessary um, to connect to our world to eventually make an application in our lives. So just to recap, the elements that are necessary will be, it is a Christian who is experiencing uh, trying circumstances as a result of following Christ, and Christ strengthens them to endure it. Those are the three things. Now, uh, when we bring them together, then we are ready to connect to our world and start to make an application to our lives. Uh, this next step, B, on your uh, list there, under five, I think is probably the section where we see the most errors occur um, in this regard, where we're trying to discover a parallel situation in a contemporary context. So, uh, when we are seeking to live out biblical principles, uh, like principles of the Bible, uh, we need to also be aware and students of the world around us, our world, our culture, um, not just the biblical one, because we're trying to apply these truths from then accurately to now accurately. And so when I use the term parallel, what I'm referring to is um, a situation that contains all of the elements that we've derived from the biblical text, not just some of them. So if we were going to recap the elements of this text, it would need to be a Christian who is experiencing suffering because of his faith in Christ and that he can be strengthened uh, through Christ to endure the circumstances. Those three elements have to be in place to find a parallel situation in a contemporary context. So there are some pretty... If you lived in the South or just America in the last 50 years, I'd be willing to bet that you've seen this phrase more than any other phrase outside of John 3.16. In what context would you think I'm referring to? Philippians 4.13. Sports. You hear it all the time with guys who claim Christ. It's a badge. They'll put it on their, like, like eye paint. They'll put it on their shoes. they put it on all our merch, jerseys, stuff like this. And this is a textbook example of 
doing this inappropriately. Because they're taking a principle, normally they are broadening it beyond what the intention is as well, to something different, um, to apply it to some general version of, I'll succeed because God's on my side. That produces a myriad of problems as an application, and uh, I would like to go on a diatribe, I suppose, about a few of them. Um, Normally, how I've seen it is, it's not, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Normally, it's, I can do all things. That's a lot different. That is significantly different. Even if you uh, assume that you're having some uh, of God uh, cheering you on or something in some way, the proposition then is that I can do what it takes to succeed at what I'm doing. So if I were to use this as a promise for myself, when I go into the trial of competition, um, I am not standing as a Christian who is experiencing trying circumstances because of my faith, and in that context will be strengthened by Christ. I am misapplying a different promise to a different unbiblical situation. And uh, if you believe it too strongly, you run the risk then of turning around and blaming God for not fulfilling something that you thought he said he would do. Um, This is why this is a really important step. Um, We can go through, there's a number of these in uh, American Christianity culture because, I mean, how many tchotchkes have you seen with snippets of Bible verses. Um, Ashlyn would be pummeled with these every week working at Lifeway, where they have a, their entire industry is not selling books, it's uh, selling tacky crap with verses slapped on them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how many times have you heard, you know, be still and know that I am God, with no reference to the fact that this is a God speaking to a believer who's been working too hard and not resting in worshipful presence with him, that the, the essence of that exhortation is that God is sovereign over the nations and that he will do what is right and he will save some and he will punish evildoers. Um, that doesn't fit quite as well, I guess, on a coffee mug. But, and uh, I think the real hairy one to get into would be Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, we're not Israel in that context. If you want to claim a Bible verse for you as a New Testament Christian about God doing things on your behalf, go back to Romans from last week. Go to that. Don't go to that one. Um, that is a, a, an example of finding an improper parallel and then smashing it onto something because we'd uh, prefer it be that way. Um, so let me give you a, a positive example of like a parallel situation. Um, I'm sure that you can find them in your own life, and I may take some time to do that because I think that's very beneficial. I may do it with one from my own life. Um, but let's say we have a stay-at-home mom of two who surrenders her life to Christ. And in light of that, her husband leaves her. 
Now she has, because of her commitment to Christ, lost her husband, her primary source of uh, financial support, and she's left with two kids to, to raise. This is a Christian experiencing trying circumstances as a result of following Christ faithfully. This is a situation where Christ will give her the power to endure. Um, no matter how hard that may be. And uh, uh, another example might be, um, I'll use one for my own life, and then I might ask for some of you, because I'm sure that you have some. Um, when I was in college, before I accepted a call to ministry, I was just going to a school that I had applied to, I didn't declare a major, aimlessly taking classes, but I was too convicted to not do that. I discovered uh, where I could go and study and prepare for ministry. Um, and so after the first semester, I transferred there. I didn't know, know anybody there. Uh, I had no friends, no real contacts at the school. So most of my days were spent um, being lonely, I guess, uh, being alone in my dorm room, or taking really, really long walks to fast food places to take really long walks to bring my food back rather than go eat there um, just to fill the time. And uh, I didn't think that I was that sad uh, and <laughs> until uh, I went home after a couple of months uh, in that semester. And my grandfather, who I think we maybe had three, like less than five, uh, really intimate conversations in my lifetime was very worried about me being there because of the way he saw me. And I didn't perceive that that was the case. But um, I remember being reassured uh, time and again, despite feeling pretty down and, and lonely, that I had made the right decision because I felt that God was calling me to do this and I felt that he called me to go there and study. Um, the grace of God is pretty amazing because despite that little bit of suffering for me, um, it's easily one of the best things that I've ever done in my life because I have so many life-changing experiences with friends. I have the greatest gift I've ever received in this life, which is Ashlyn from going there. And uh, I didn't think after the first few weeks, that I made the right decision. Um, after a couple of months longer, um, I decided to do things differently. Uh, you don't get to mope around. You seek the Lord. You pray. I'd use those long walks to Wendy's to just talk to God about stuff. Um, you learn pretty quickly not to walk in the high grass. In South Carolina especially when you're allergic to fire ants, <laughs> like me. Um, but what I found was the benefits of that time, the way in which God was strengthening me was uh, he was really cultivating uh, my personal um, communication with him. I don't think I ever prayed like that in my life before that point. Um, I'd only been saved like a year and a half-ish maybe before that, and I didn't expect spend significant 
hours uh, talking to God throughout my days until that point. Um, I thought it was hard. People around me thought I was struggling, which I was, but I was also being strengthened. And uh, it's clearer as the days go by uh, what that experience was like for me. Um, does anybody else have an experience like that that they'd be willing to share where um, they've made a decision or uh, people were giving them some flack um, for their faith in Christ in some way? And looking back, you can tell the ways in which Christ was strengthening you. I don't have one of my own, but I have one of a friend's. <laughs> I have a friend who lives in China, and uh, I haven't known him all that long. Well, I met him when I visited China. Uh, but the Christian church there was really being oppressed by the government. They've been forced to cut all the crosses off their churches. They were basically being forced into home churches, you know, where they could meet because they could then hopefully be protected somewhat. And so I was sitting with him and talking to him about that, and I, the thing that impressed me was that I was talking about what they were going through and how hard it was for them, and, and he seemed perfectly happy about it, and I didn't quite understand that. And in fact, he made a statement, he said, I'm pretty, we're pretty much hoping we don't get religious freedom here in China. <laughs> and I thought, huh? Yeah. I said, why? Why is that? And he said, because we're afraid we're going to become like you American Christians. Is that you won't appreciate what you have as, as Christians, and you won't be forced to stand up for it. And because of that, we're growing as a church, he says. We're, Christians are growing through China. You may not know it. And I've heard the, the numbers said that by 2024, there'll be more Christians in China than there are in the U.S. Yeah. Of course, a very big country, but still, yeah. that's, that's uh, a lot of Christians. So, um, you know, I was very impressed with their attitude and how they felt they were being strengthened and cared for through their being faithful to Christ and, to, and being His Word and to be doing what they thought He would have them do to spread the gospel, even though they were being oppressed by the government, which in China is their God, their government. Yeah, yeah very good. So I think um, both of these could be used pretty effectively um, as parallel situations to convey the theological principle that is inherent in Philippians 4.13, where in, to varying degrees and significantly different circumstances, we have uh, a Christian who is experiencing trying circumstances because of their faith, and they're being strengthened by Christ to endure. Um, so um, the, the last bit there, um, and I'll likely go on a more friendly diatribe um, under this one, is make your applications specific. So uh, once we've identified a legitimate or a genuine parallel situation uh, with a biblical situation, um, we should give thought to specific ways um, that the biblical principles might apply. Um, and 
I'm going to suggest there are likely three areas um, in which they can apply. Sometimes I like to use the, the more archaic language of thought, word, and deed. There are even songs that have made us sing that use this terminology. Uh, and thought, word, and deed, we failed you, our king. Um, but to, to make it a bit more uh, clear in modern English, it would be character, thinking, and behavior. So not to confuse it too much, the thought in the, the older language, how I'm using it is kind of what you are, what you uh, should be. And uh, your word is the things you express. So thought word indeed. But think of it as character, our thinking, and our behavior. Um, and this is a point of emphasis for me, uh, one that... Uh, I've been frustrated with the lack of it uh, throughout the years in varying situations, but sometimes the best application of a text will relate to how we understand God's character and his ways, not a immediately like tangible thing to do. And that is a real struggle for us uh, in modern Christian culture. And uh, this idea that every text should have an application is true. But we would prefer only the one. And I could posit ideas as to why, which I'm sure at times it would be true, that we would prefer to have something simple um, that we can grasp, that we think we can accomplish, um, to say I've moved a step forward or a few steps forward in my sanctification or in closeness to God in some way. But I think that our primary um, focus should be on what the Scripture's focus is. And that's why I included the article um, f- in preparation for this week. Um, so if you, if you didn't get a chance to read that, um, the thrust of that was, yes... All the Bible applies to us, but not always in the way that we'd prefer. It's not always simply things we do. More often than not, it is things that we are to be, and we can't accomplish those things. Um, so to say this a bit more clearly, um, like a large portion of Scripture uh, is in that category of the application should be we have a greater understanding of how God is and what he does. And so if I were to phrase it this way, I'd say um, in Scripture, God is there. He's there for us to apprehend, to see, and to be changed by. Uh, to me, this is the essence of revelation. We experience God. Uh, we see him, we understand him, and we are changed by it, not by the actions that we can ascertain are consistent with that revelation necessarily. So to take a quote from that article, 
Um, I think the, the phrase that I've heard the most, that I appreciate the most, and gets to the heart of this much more clearly is, we become what we behold. Uh, it goes, uh, as we're freshly captivated by the grandeur of our God and his gospel, we become what we behold. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And so we come away from our Bible intake with a more satisfied soul, which imparts a flavor and demeanor to our lives and decision-making that affects everything. Um, I think one of the reasons I'm uh, so passionate about this is it is a large part of our study of worship. So when we are studying, um, you know, what does it mean to be a worship leader? How do you attain that? Outside of um, some of the, the details of getting it accomplished in some way, um, whether that be through planning or the performance elements of any of these things, um, what is the most base essence of worship of God? Um, well, it's response, and it's response to his revelation. And chiefly, that is a personal response to his person. We experience who God is. I think about um, the Moses encounter, right? Or uh, Moses is like, let me see your face or whatever. And he says, well, you would die if you saw that because it's too great. But I'll show you like, my backside, basically. And uh, even though he only gets that glimpse of that, what he sees is God um, in his glory, his great worth before him. And what happens to him is uh, his countenance has changed. The, uh, you might hear the phrase, Shekinah glory is like shining off his face. He had an experience there witnessing, beholding God, and was changed, so much so that when he went back to the people, they could see it. He wasn't saying things. He wasn't necessarily doing things. But he was changed by beholding. Um, one of my favorite albums by one of my favorite songwriters, uh, Matt Papa, is called Look and Live. And largely, the argumentation of the whole album is beholding God as he is in his glory and allowing yourself to be changed by it. Um, he references the serpent um, that was lifted up, that people looked to that and lived, in the same way that the Son of Man was lifted up. We look, look to him in faith, and we too shall live. Um, uh, even similarly, if you use Jesus' parable of the, uh, I'm forgetting it now, uh, the plow, right? So these, uh, maintaining that focus, and he doesn't waver. Or even Peter, um, he's like, come to me, look at me. He doesn't. He looks at the water, he sinks. Um, but during the time that he was, he could walk on water with him. Um, this is, to me, this is a constant refrain of the Bible is, behold and become. Look uh, and live. Um, and... Uh, 
this uh, is often missed in a lot of our discussions of uh, biblical passages. I think I think we've all been around um, the like, what does this mean to you stuff, and that's not always a bad thing. But oftentimes, it slips into inane discussions more than we'd probably prefer. But they really miss that essence of when we get to a passage that doesn't have a clear, um, you know, be good to your wives, be good to your husbands, don't entice your children to anger, to avoid or not really know how to apply in ourselves um, information that God has revealed to us about himself. And uh, it is kind of a tricky thing uh, where we're basically trying to see through the help of the Holy Spirit the beauty of God in who he is and what he's done, not just what he's asked us to do. Um, But we can't do that and neglect the other that we're more common with. So if we never suggest um, specific applications, um, people may not know what to do and how to do it when the time comes in some of these other areas. So we can offer biblical insight and impart skills and wisdom to live out that insight. And uh, that is probably what we are most uh, comfortable with and used to is what does the Bible say on this subject, and how can I implement the principles then to benefit in some way? Um, that should be no, uh, no secret to us that we can also glean insights that we can apply and then develop skills and wisdom to behave appropriately in light of those biblical insights. Um, but uh, I was trying to think if I how I'm going to do it on time I'm doing pretty good um, let's see so what I may do oh, I didn't save that other thing I intend to discuss this a little bit on Sunday as well um, because I find it interesting that we're, um, we struggle quite a bit with applying passages of Scripture that mainly reveal God's character and that oftentimes our favorite Bible verses are ones that do that explicitly. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life is not do these things Um, and you'll get closer to God. It is solely God's character as a loving father to give his son the greatest gift that he could give on behalf of people who don't deserve it, to give him uh, what he wants to, to display his glorious grace. Um, Similarly, when we look at um, what can separate us from the love of Christ, uh, neither height nor depth, width, principalities, powers, tribulation, sword, we love that passage because it's so clear. It's almost like a, a, a microscope on God's character, on the depth uh, in which he has loved his people. 
But how would you apply that? Like, what do you apply in a situation like that? Um, any suggestions? Like, any thoughts? Like, what, what application could we derive from the depth and the inseparability of God's love from us if we are his? You're not alone. Yeah, so you're not alone. So you'll never be alone. We, me and Jacob were talking about this. We're getting into some nerd stuff about theology. Uh, my, one of my first forays into this was uh, I heard a pastor say, in regard to security of believers, which much of what we've been covering in Romans is about that, is that as much as Christ is inseparable from the Father and the Son and the Trinity, if you are in Christ, so are you. You cannot be separated from Him. So your, your eternal destination is secure because Christ cannot be removed from the Trinity. Um, we are now one with Him uh, in communion and fellowship. Okay. Anything else? So we're not alone? I have a question, though, sure. to help clarify like that application. Sure. Um, is there a difference between application and just a true, true principle? Uh, we're not alone, right? Uh, yeah. That's a truth statement. Um, that's true theologically. But then the application of that, um, is, there, like, is there a distinction between application and simply a truth statement? Yeah, so I'd say it's the, the truth statement is more often it'll be the principle that's derived. So how we would apply that we're not alone um, would be that we actually talk to God yeah. in prayer. Yeah. That we actually go to his word for guidance because we are not alone. If we were, we wouldn't do those things. Um, so that would be a specific way to apply that. Um, yeah. And also to answer your question, um, I mean, it's really what as you said, worship is, right? It's um, recognizing who God is and how he works in these passages and then how that stirs us to worship him, right, in spirit and truth. Yeah. Um, and so I know we like to use the terms, the term affection a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, so looking at scripture, seeing what it says about who God is, what does this teach me about the character of God? And then allowing that that knowledge you have of him, that scripture is teaching you to grow your heart affections for him, right? Which then leads you to worship. So you, you see the process with that, and then that's the direct application is responding appropriately to those truths. Um, I was trying to think of the, I can't come up with any really good ones that I'm extremely happy with, but I was thinking about the idea of, um, my experience of being in love with Ashlyn is different than um, me just finding out some things that I can do that would please her. Um, so, like, for example, she hates doing the dishes. I don't mind doing the dishes, but she feels really loved when I do it. But there's certainly a way for me to do the dishes in a way that's not loving to her. Um... It's kind of that, uh, it's not that, uh, how's that phrase? It's in a lot of shows and stuff. It's like, 
Um, I want you to want to do the thing, not I want you to do it. Um, I think it's a fair enough principle when we're looking at the scripture itself. Um, God doesn't just want us to do things like love our wives and husbands and children. Um, He uh, wants us to want to do that in our innermost being. And he's provided the means for us to want to do it. Um, that sounds complicated, but that's the role of the Holy Spirit again, um, where he's enabled us to come to him in faith. He's uh, illumined our minds to understand his word, and he empowers us to walk in the spirit and do what he would have us do. Um, this is, gets into the broader discussion of or why Paul talks about um, the fruits of the Spirit against things, such things there is no law, completely guided by the Spirit. We're doing things completely congruent with the law, completely congruent with the will and character of God, and uh, it happens, it emanates from us. Uh, it's not something that we apply externally, it's something that has come from us because it's been placed in us. Um, much of the, the article touches on how most of what we do, uh, we don't have a moment of pause of reflection before we do it. We just do it. Um, so that's why the nature of encountering God in Scripture um, of having him change you just simply by beholding him is more important than trying to do the things he's asked. Because the more you become like him, the more you behold, the more you become what you behold, the more you will just do them. Because in the process of sanctification, we are being conformed to the image of the Son, to the renewing of mind, being transformed one from, uh, it's the exact phrase uh, from Corinthians again, uh, from conform to the same image from one degree of glory to another. Um, so this is the, uh, the less nuts and bolts version of application. Um, but I think it's the most important because it is the undergirding part of application that will affect our more, if you want to say, practical application of things to do, however you define them or whatever you call them. But, I have a yeah. question. So, uh, and I think this is maybe, I don't think we could answer it perfectly, or maybe you think you can. Um, would you say, or is application things for us to do, or the things for God, that God will do in us? Um, I think it's kind of both. Um, because there will be times where um, it's, I think of the psalmists uh, most often, where they are really struggling with obeying God, but they are constantly arguing with themselves and still trying to act consistently uh, with what they know about God, despite their reservations. Um, and 
you'll see this refrain, you're like, why have you done this? How long will you let us suffer? I don't understand why you let these things happen and not these things. But nevertheless, I will praise you, right? So here we have an instance of this internal struggle. I call about, like, I describe it as the war for worship, basically, that happens in the midst of this trying to apply scriptures and live a, a Christian life in obedience to God, where we're battling against our flesh with what we know about God from his word and in the New Testament era with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, um, where he is fighting to apply what he knows despite opposition from internally from himself. Um, and he is... Ob- I don't like the phrase Pastor Jason said, don't tell him since he's in Greece, about it doesn't require love for obedience. I don't like the phrase, but I'm getting close to using it here (laughs) where it's you are struggling to love God in this obedience, but you're doing it nonetheless with reservations. Does that make sense? Um, It's not very clean. But it is indicative of our experience, and we do have scriptural precedent for it to happen. Um, so what was your question again? Like, how did you phrase it again? I said, is application, so what we're yeah. talking about, things for us to do, or is it uh, the things God will do in us? Yeah, so in that case, I would say that in a certain sense, he is doing things, um, trying to be obedient to God while voicing concerns, all of this stuff that seems incongruent with what God has said. But even still, God is changing him in the process towards that. And so it's almost like a... It's a hard question. Yeah. So, uh, but I would say it's... That's why I would say it's both. Where um, the connection between being and doing is much muddier than we'd prefer. But there are instances where we will act consistently with our principles without wanting to do so. Um, And that's what I'd say is that. That's where we're now doing something, um, which the genesis of it is still God working us in the first place, Um, though we have that tension trying to pull us apart. I think that's a common experience. Yeah. You know, I can remember my dad forcing me to do things that I didn't want to do until I did them, and then I understood why he wanted me to do them. And I find the same thing true of my Heavenly Father. Yeah. I know attitude meant a lot to my dad. You know, if I did it with the wrong attitude, that didn't please him very much. Yeah. But if I still did it, it was better than not doing it. Yeah. Um, and I often came to understand later, and I think that's my experience as a Christian. Sometimes I do things that maybe with the wrong attitude, but later I understand why I was led to do that. That's why I would couch that process as being a part of sanctification, something that we can't fully know uh, to the extent, and that we will know in eternity future how those things were working together for our good. That would definitely be a time where we were like, you for real? Like, is this what we're supposed to be doing? Like, I don't want to do this. Um, I don't think this is right. Um, I don't think what you're doing is right. Things like that. Um, 
but even still, like after we've already expressed in some of these, uh, like even in my own life, I still wasn't sure God called me to do that because I was struggling at school at first. Um, after the fact, all I can remember is the good um, because of how much the good benefited me despite experiencing very real bad in my estimation during that time. And I think when all is said and done, we'll have a clear understanding of how those things were working in all of our life. Um, yeah, that's why I think it's partly hard to answer because we can sit here and say, this is clean and simple, do this, um, think that, feel this, and you're in perfect obedience to God uh, after Christ uh, coming through. But experientially, it's not that way, and the scriptures even tell us that it's not that way. Uh, it, it won't feel, uh, it won't be as clean as that. Um, and I think there's a, I think God intends that, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, I think he does that on purpose. I have a view that when all is said and done, everything that has happened um, will glorify God in some way, and this is just part of that process. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thought-provoking questions? Um, so just a brief uh, recap of the steps. Uh, before we close up here. So um, if you're going to take the interpretive journey, we need to start and grasp whatever text we're looking at in their town, in the biblical situation, in the biblical audience. And we need to then measure the width of the river we need to cross and determine what are the difference between the biblical audience and us. Then we need to cross that river by determining what is the theological principle or principles that are in that text. Then, once we've arrived at a theological principle, we need to look at the rest of Scripture to see how it fits. Is it congruent? Is it not? If so, move forward. If not, reevaluate, dig deeper into the text, see what it's saying. Um, and then, lastly, grasp the text in our town by determining how that theological principle can be lived out in our context, whatever that may be. And sub-points there will mean we'll have to go back and observe how the principles in the text address the original situation, discover a parallel situation in our time that meets all the requirements from the text, and then, where applicable, pun intended, I guess, make applications specific. So if your application is love God, it's that. If it's love your wife, do that. Um, it can be that uh, simple and yet very complex. <laughs> uh, but let's see here. Yeah, I know how to fill time, I guess. Um, one minute till. Uh, that's all I got for you on that for now. I would love to talk about this stuff more in the, from a different way, if possible. But um, 
if you can before uh, Sunday, I'd hope at least after that, uh, take the interpretive journey with Romans 8, 31 through 39, the text I'll be preaching this Sunday. Um, if you get it done before then, see how close we are. Uh, how well do I grasp the text in their town? How well uh, do I uh, measure the differences between us? How clearly do I convey um, the theological principle of the text? How consistent will my theological principle be with the rest of Scripture? And how, uh, how do I apply that to our context? Um, and let me know, because I want to dialogue about that. Um, I think it could be pretty neat. Regardless, you could just go in and check the video after the fact and be like, man, he's like really terrible at doing this. Uh, but uh, if we have nothing else, I'll, I'll close us in prayer, and then we can head on out. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together that uh, when we come to your word, um, that you're there, that you have things that we can understand, that you've empowered us to know you intimately, and that you have empowered us to go on your behalf into this world and be instruments of your grace, of your glory. Thank you that um, no matter what you bring in our way, uh, that if we look to you, we can endure. That you have in mind your glory and our good, making us like your son, bringing us ever closer to you, in sweet fellowship and that there will be no end to that. Lord, continue to uh, open our minds to understand your word clearly. Open our hearts to love you all the more and empower our hands to do your work in this world. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.